0: So in the last couple of months, there's been a couple of times where I've touched on what God's heart might be for us in the middle of everything else that is going on in the midst of this whole situation. What has God up to? What might he be doing through this whole coronavirus thing that we've experienced? As followers of Jesus, all we are really called to do is hear what God is saying uh, what is he asking of us what 's he saying what 's he want us of us and then respond accordingly that 's all we can really do that's there 's nothing much more that we have the power to do as followers of Jesus um, let me just uh, fix something on here technology is uh, a <laughs> is great when it works um, What's, so all we can do is hear what God's saying, respond accordingly. Um, this week I was spending some time um, at the beginning of the week as we head into this new season, if you like, just to ask God, what, what is it that you want to show us as a church family in the season ahead, in the time ahead? Um, and the book of the Bible that I was drawn to was not what I expected at all. In fact, I kind of I thought, okay, I heard God saying this and I did the whole, is this really you, God? Because... Um, this book of the Old Testament is in the Old Testament that I felt like God wants us to focus on. It's very long. It's a book that's very complex and deep. It's deeply challenging in its message. It's not a great candidate for an easy Bible study or a, um, a, an easy sermon series. I'm talking about the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah is chapters, uh, 66 chapters long. It has poetry and history and prophecy and different imagery and all these different literary approaches and devices. And there's lots of historical context behind all of this, which, which makes it a little bit hard to get your head around. To do that, you need to invest some hard work um, to really translate the message into today's context. But when you spend a little time with it, it's uh, and, and I've, I've started to do this. I'm planning to uh, a bit more in the coming weeks. There's really a powerful, um, although deeply unsettling, but wonderfully life-giving message um, for us as followers of Jesus in the Book of Isaiah. Um, and so that's where we're going to be. One chapter a week. We'll finish in September 2021. No, I'm just just joking. <laughs> Some of you nervous there, uh, but we are going to study this this amazing piece of literature in the coming weeks. Um, and allow God to speak to us through his word, allow God to show us what he wants to do in here. That's really what it's all about. What's he doing in our hearts? What's he want to do in our hearts? Um, my goal today is just to give a bit of our introduction, look a bit at the um, uh, key themes of judgment and hope in this book. And so we'll pray, and then we'll read the scripture together to begin. So, Father, thank you so much for your word And thank you that when we, as the gathered people of God, come together to open it, to read it, something incredibly powerful happens, whether we're in person or online, that as we open your word together, it's a a unique opportunity for you to speak to us right into the depths of our heart. And we pray that would happen this morning, that you would open our hearts, that you would open our ears, our minds to what you have to say, what you want to do in us, however uncomfortable this may be to hear how you're challenging us, how you're shifting Our hearts, which are divided. We pray, Lord, that you would open us to your spirit in this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, first of all, Marilyn is going to read for us. She's pre recorded this. Uh, She's going to read for us from Isaiah's chapter, parts of Isaiah 1 and 2. So, um, hopefully, this works.
1: Good morning, church. What a beautiful morning it is this morning. I'm doing the reading this morning, um, Isaiah 1. 1-4 1-4 and 13-20, to finishing with Isaiah 2, verse 22. These are the visions that Isaiah, son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. He saw these visions during the years when Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Ezekiah were kings of Judah. Listen, O heavens, pay attention, earth. This is what the Lord says. The children I raised and cared for have rebelled against me. Even an ox knows its owner, and a donkey recognises its master's care. But Israel doesn't know its master. My people don't recognise my care for them. Oh, what a sinful nation they are, loaded down with a burden of guilt. They are evil people, corrupt children who have rejected the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him stop bringing me your meaningless gifts the incense of your offering disgusts me as for your celebrations of the new moon and the sabbath and your special days for fasting they are all sinful and false i won't know more of your pious meetings i hate your new moon celebrations and your annual festivals they are a burden to me i cannot stand them when you lift up your hands in prayer i will not look Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. (coughs) For your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. Wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. Learn to to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. If only you will obey me, you will have plenty to eat. But if you turn away and refuse to listen, you will be devoured by the sword of your enemies. I, the Lord, have spoken. Don't put your trust in me, humans. They are as frail as breath what good are they? This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. So that's uh, just a couple of excerpts from um, the opening chapter of the book of Isaiah and then that one verse from the end of chapter 2, both of which those chapters together are kind of an introductory bit. It begins to lay out what the book is about, the, the book of Isaiah, namely God's judgment and then hope for Israel. Judgment and hope. Judgment is a is a really strong word, or it can have quite strong connotations. Uh, maybe it makes you think of a view of God as an, a kind of an angry and violent judge. Um, Maybe uh, it's, it gives you a view of God, or it makes you think of a view of God who's only apt to condemn, not to save, not to rescue. But there's far more to God's judgment than, um, than that. It's, it's an impor- important concept to grapple with, important that we grapple with what judgment is, and I'm still doing that myself. The context uh, here in, in uh, the book of Isaiah is that Judah, also known as the southern kingdom after, Israel, uh, they, after they divided with the northern kingdom of Israel, Um, The people of Judah, the southern kingdom, are not honoring God. They're not being led by godly leadership. And so God, through the prophet Isaiah, is telling them that God's judgment will come upon them. And this was the role of many of the Old Testament prophets. Now, not, not to be confused with prophecy in the New Testament and exactly what that is. The prophets in the Old Testament had a distinct kind of a role. But in the book of Isaiah, there's also a strong message of hope. The judgment of God is not just about an angry God who wants the rebels to suffer. Like, you turned away from me, you got to suffer, as a kind of a vindictive kind of thing. God's motivation in this is to bring his beloved people to a time and a place of, in essence, heaven on earth. And Isaiah talks over and over about the new Jerusalem in the book of Isaiah, the new Jerusalem, a future reality, which is what we know Jesus is bringing about Uh, upon his return heaven on earth the new creation and so the book of Isaiah is a message of great hope of great hope there and there are numerous famous passages uh, verses that that are that are well known in Isaiah that point to this wonderful wonderful hope which we're going to explore in the coming weeks what is this hope Isaiah is prophesying about but it starts with and is realized through this hope starts with judgment and the judgment upon Judah or the Israelites uh, is coming because aside from their, their selfish actions, and we read about some of that there, they weren't acting justly. They were, they were these religious sacrifices to try and please God, all this stuff. Judgment, though, it, really it's coming because at the core they have trusted in others and not God. That's really what's at the heart of it. And I, my suggestion is that some of the things mentioned By Isaiah, uh, the the Israelites that Judah are doing their religious uh, rituals, they're treating others unjustly, all this stuff, it's a result of their turning away in their hearts from God. That's the core thing. Time and time again, when the Israelites were in in danger, here's how it played out. Because of their size, they weren't this big military power, and they were surrounded by these huge military powers from time to time that were threatening them. They had a choice quite often they had a choice and their choice was basically this either team up with a buddy who can help us like one of the surrounding nations or trust in God from what I've read so far and believe me I'm as much of an amateur student of books like this as you are but I've started to read started to study it and we see reference in Isaiah to at least three different times uh, that they tried Judah tried to buddy up ...with another nation when they should have called on God's help. So first of all, they partnered with Assyria... Um, then um, when Assyria turned on them, they went to Egypt and said, Egypt, please help us. And then they got it right for a while. King Hezekiah of the, of the Jews, he, he, he turned to God and he prayed to God and said, God, we need your help. We trust in you. And God used the Babylonians to come help them. But then what did he do? He went, oh, now we need a buddy up with the Babylonians because they helped us. And obviously, they're going to be our salvation. And then eventually, the Babylonians turn on them. And that's where they're led into captivity, known as the exile. I look at this this, this kind of thing that happens over and over again with these people and and see the same issue in the heart of those people back then as the one that exists today in our hearts. That when we are in need, when danger or lack or something faces us, that means we need help. We look to things and to people rather than to God we look to things and to people that we think will give us what we need but ultimately they will fail us and they will turn on us whereas if we look with eyes of faith we would see that only God is reliable only God is capable and powerful enough and so let me put the same question to you two different ways today when it comes to what we need when, when we're in need or there's provision needed or we face a challenge, what do we see and what do we believe? What do we see and what do we believe? With natural eyes... We see things, we see forces and people and uh, powers that provide stability and provide security uh, and they give us wealth and comfort and protection or whatever it is that we need. For Israel uh, or for Judah, this was Assyria and then it was Egypt and then it was Babylon. Hey, let's make friends with, with the ones that look like they've got the goods to protect us against our current threat. Assyria is coming in from this angle, so Egypt help us. And then someone else, come, so, so Babylon's help, it, uh, help us. And we're the same. We've created a whole system in our lives, especially in wealthy countries, where uh, there's a system of reliance upon wealth and upon government and, or other people and organizations. And when threats come against us, threats of disease or threats of, of, of uh, unemployment or maybe the horror of the internet going down or the power going out whatever may come against us not to make light of the more serious threats though in our lives there are there's always something or someone that we can turn to to help us someone or something we can get friendly with in order to make sure that we will be okay and that's looking at life through natural eyes but with spiritual eyes We see that God and only God has the power to wipe away even the most powerful armies and the most powerful enemies and forces. Only God can provide what we need in such a way that we won't have sold our soul and be worse off in the long run. Only God. So, what do we see? Who or what do we see as our provider or our protection or our ally or the one who will come to our rescue? To phrase it another way, though, what do we believe? If we think about who we trust, what do we, well, what do we believe? Unbelief says God could or God might, but really I need to take things into my own hands because God probably won't. Right? God could rescue me. God might come to my aid, but he probably won't. He probably won't heal, won't provide, won't give me joy, won't protect satisfy. right? But belief says that God will, and even if he doesn't, he's still good. And his plan is obviously better. Belief said, says God will, and if he doesn't, he's still good. The question that I've been reflecting on then as I've begun to read Isaiah and go, wow, this is pretty full on, but there's something here for us, is how does God move us from blindness to sight? How does God move us from unbelief to belief? What is it biblically that he does to shift our heart in that way? And despite what you'll hear from some Christian thinkers or bloggers or um, preachers even around the world, uh, our trust in God doesn't usually develop by God just pouring out blessing after blessing. In other words, really earthly material things that, are, that, that give us Happiness and joy, things or opportunities in this world, pleasures of this world. He does do that. He does bless us in that way. But more often than not, those kinds of blessings lead to initial gratitude and then long-term dependency and complacency. Initial gratitude, oh, thank you, God, you provided. For me. But then, long-term dependency because we become attached to the blessings, attached to the things, dependent on them, and our trust is in what God has provided and not on God Himself. Our trust becomes on the things God gives us. Isn't that okay? That God, well, not if our trust is in them. It's different to if our trust is in God. And so what does God do to lead us, to trust him, to believe in him, to see him as the provider, as our rescuer? So we are not walking down a dead-end path, pun intended. How does God save us from just this half-trusting life that leads to just a shadow of life, or worse, eternal death? God exercises what the prophet Isaiah calls judgment. He allows the effects of sin to catch up with us just a bit. He lets us have it. He lets the Assyrians who seemed like the Savior or the Babylonians who were the Savior, uh, but then go, become the, the rescuer. Oh, we, we need to trust in you. He lets them become the very thing which strips the Israelites back again. In the last couple of months, I've said uh, a number of times that this coronavirus is not created by God. It's, he's devastated by the effects that this has on people he loves. It's, it's painful in so many different ways. And God is devastated by it, even though he'll use it for good. Now, I still hold that stance, mostly. I just think it's a little more complicated than that. That God will use painful circumstances, sickness, even death, to exercise his judgment, to actually rip the rug out from underneath us and say, hey, you're trusting in things that lead to death. You're trusting in things or people or relationships or whatever that will let you down. They have no life. They will turn on you. And so whatever it takes, God won't hold back from bringing his judgment upon people, upon cities, even upon nations who are trusting in others and therefore rejecting him. And this is so uncomfortable to think about. Agree? It's uncomfortable to talk about, especially when we're back here for the first Sunday, back celebrations in person. Now I just want to preach on rejoicing the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. And instead, I just feel like God was saying, No. We need to think about how he's turning our hearts, because that's what this is about. It's uncomfortable to think about God's judgment as a pathway to hope. But I realized the other day in my my preaching this year, um, from before coronavirus to through the online stuff, that, that I've sometimes been portraying a mindset that reflects something quite dangerous, or that can reflect something quite dangerous. That, that Sometimes I've bought in too much to the idea that God ultimately wants us to be happy. That's what God's about. I get caught in a mindset that, because it's constantly communicated to us in the world around us, that heaven is reached when me, myself, and I are satisfied. That's utopia. It's the self-journey, uh, the self-ambition. And so sometimes when I preach, I feel like, Because this is just all around us and it sinks into my mind as well as yours, I feel like I have to justify the call to follow Jesus by saying, it will ultimately bring you happiness. It will ultimately bring you joy, fulfillment. You, the self, you will get what you want. Uh, But what your soul longs for, what my soul longs for, is not what we think we desire. It's not what you think you desire. Jesus is the only one who satisfies, who fulfills, of course, but not in the way that you and I think right now not in what we're looking for right now. Otherwise, we would forsake everything and, and we would follow Jesus with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. We would lay everything down at his feet and we would say, Jesus, have it all. And we would live that way every single minute of every day. But let's be honest, we don't do that. Not all the time. And so God needs us to realize in a very direct and impacting way in moments like this, whether you're through that camera lens there or you're in the room right here, That everything else in our lives, whether it's from Him or not, whether we want it or not, is indeed filthy rags. Everything else is filthy rags. And for that to happen, for that realization to happen in our hearts, we need to experience judgment. We need to experience life where God actually does remove just a little bit, his powerful, sustaining, life-giving hand from us, just a bit, and it all comes crashing down because everything depends on him ultimately. And so would God create something like coronavirus, like a sickness or a hardship, in order to turn us back to him? I'm going to let you wrestle with that theological question, whether there's a difference between God creating something terrible and using something terrible in order to bring about a change of our hearts. That's something we have to to wrestle with personally. But either way, what's clear is this. He will use calamity. He will use pain to bring about a judgment that will turn us to him when we've turned away. It's also our hearts will be turned back to him. It's not so our lives will... Get better, because Jesus brings you joy. And yeah, come on, just turn to Jesus, and your life will be better. Although Jesus is the one that ultimately our joy will be found in, but God is not, friends, just a mean to a selfish end. Do you agree? He's not just a mean to a selfish end. And and if I've ever preached that out of my own insecurity then I repent before God and I apologize to all of you. Because that is not the truth. That is not the gospel. God brings judgment. He prunes. He lets us suffer sometimes because our hearts need to be turned back to him. And here's why. Here's the, the, the crux of it. In the end, it's either life of self-fulfillment that leads to an eternity without God, which is actually eternal death. It's either that or it's some suffering and maybe even death experienced in our lives around us or us ourselves that may lead to a turning of our heart. It's either living self-life now and and death or it's the chance, the opportunity to experience true life through death or through pain or through suffering, death forever or the opportunity for life through death. And, and we need to get this. We need to realize that even physical death, God will use in our lives. And maybe you've experienced that or something like it, something that feels even worse than death in this recent season. And uh, we, we, our hearts break together. This is not a, a small thing that we have gone through and many people will continue to go through. It's painful in so many ways in so many places around the world, and it continues to be God will use it if he has to, to lead us, our hearts, back to him. Because he actually does want the best for us. It's just that the best is life in the kingdom of heaven. It's the new Jerusalem, as Isaiah talks about. It's not any blessing that this earth could give, it's not any material thing, it's the new creation. And so through the prophet Isaiah, God declares to his people that this judgment is coming. This, this, this uh, ripping the rug out from them is coming. They must suffer for the choices they've made, the choices to trust in others and not in him. Uh, but it's also a message of hope. It is ultimately a message of hope that as they are humbled, they, they'll have a choice to turn back to God, to trust him again, To receive salvation through the one who will suffer in their place. He's called the suffering servant. And this hope comes through the suffering servant. The one who will make them righteous. Like in one chapter in Isaiah, um, it's the the coal, the burning coal comes to Isaiah. And rather than destroying him, it touches him and it purifies Isaiah. In the same way, his righteousness, the righteousness of the suffering servant, will purify us, make us righteous righteous as he dies in our place and of course his name is Jesus this is who Isaiah was pointing to and he is our hope maybe you and your family have been hit hard by this whole coronavirus situation um, or by other circumstances totally unrelated in this in this season maybe that's just beginning to happen now maybe maybe on the other hand you haven't maybe you've been perfectly fine because you've found ways or you already had ways that protected you for t- ways that helped you stay really comfortable, stay afloat or much better than afloat but not through trusting God because let's be honest between job keeper, job seeker, medicare, health insurance, the list goes on, many of us have absolutely nothing to worry about. There's all these systems in place that we can trust in. But the question For us to ask as followers of Jesus is, are we choosing to depend on Him completely? One day we're all going to face the judgment of God and we will all fall short, every single one of us. We'll all deserve what's coming to us because we've neglected God. We've rebelled against the one who gave us life. But Jesus has been given to us. I remind you of the Glorious gospel, friends. Jesus has been given to us as a gift of grace to stand in between and to clothe us with righteousness like that burning coal that touched Isaiah, to purify us, to make us new so we're worthy to come into that new city, that new creation, God's family together forever from every nation, tribe, and tongue. If we accept him, Jesus, the suffering servant, as our Lord as our protector, as our provider, as our comforter, as everything that we would go to for anything else, as our all, our all-in-all, our saviour completely. But it's 100% or nothing. It's 100% or nothing. And so I'm asking you today, I'm asking us today to examine our hearts, to examine your heart. What is your provider, your protector? Who is your provider, your protector, your comforter, your, your saviour? And what does it look like to burn that idol? To take that thing which has taken the place of God in your heart, in my heart, and to burn that, to let it go. Um, in, the, in the book of Isaiah, fire is a symbol of, of judgment. And we'll see this in the coming weeks. But do you know what else fire represents in the scriptures? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, because the Spirit burns away that which is toxic to us, that which is toxic in our lives. The Spirit of God purifies us, makes us new, refines us like gold. He sets our hearts ablaze for God, not lukewarm, but red hot. And so on this day, as we regather, I wanted to do something that allows us to begin this new season as the people of God. And I'm asking us to take those things that steal our devotion, that steal our our attention, that steal our worship and burn them. And I wanted to make a bonfire, but it didn't work particularly well in the rain this morning. So instead I have some matches for you to write down a material blessing, a person, an ideology, a ritual—whatever it is that you run to for provision, for stability—and to burn it. To take—I want you to take a minute to to let God bring those things to mind, to write them down when you're ready, and at the end of the service, uh, we at, just out on the grass you can light them and put them in the in the tub. Um, I, I, when I did this last night, I just took a couple of minutes to pray. I think within a few seconds, I had a list as long as a monthly shopping list of things that I know still, my, you know, the things I run to for what I mentioned provision, protection, to, to help me to, when I'm in need, whatever. But I, but I just I had this list, and I sense God saying, no, 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 what's the one thing that's behind that list of little things. And I thought about that for a minute and, and I, I realized, yeah, okay, there's one thing that's behind all those things, one thing that I turn to constantly, which needs to go on the fire for me today. And that's the thing that'll be written on my piece of paper, not the big list of little things, the one little thing. And so I encourage you to do the same. Maybe it's one or two or three things, but uh, to think about what is it that you go to, that needs the idol, that needs to be burned today, to let the Holy Spirit purify your heart this morning. Let's pray. God, would you help us to recognize this morning where we've not trusted you? You said in Isaiah chapter 2, Don't put your trust in mere humans, they are frail as breath. And the things, Lord, that human beings have made and gathered are just as frail. Whether it be ideologies, material things, systems, or people themselves. Show us, Lord, what they are in our lives and help us to hand them over to you this morning.